You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. The trend has been that brands and marketers, myself included previously, feel like we used to be able to say to influencers, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. Here's some money or here's some product. Please talk about it. And that's sort of where things have started. But nowadays, it's more like I reach out to content creators and I want them to participate in the creative with me. And I almost look at it as if I am bringing my product to your channel and I want your input. Tell me how how you want to talk about it creatively. How can we work together? You like the product. And if you do, let's not do this one-off. Let's move away from the one-night stand model of brands working with influencers. That was Tim Lambertson. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Marnie Salop, and this is the Marnie on the Move podcast. I had such a great time syncing up with today's guest, Tim Lambertson. Tim is the co-founder, partner, and co-CEO of the LMS Agency, one of the most prominent and well-respected influencer and social media marketing agencies in the business. In addition, he is the co-host of the Postworthy Podcast, a show about marketing and entrepreneurship with a range of topics, including digital marketing, PR, which I was a guest on, talking about PR, social media, influencers, and more. Before we dive into this awesome combo, quick shout out to my sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD. I love their incredible CBD balm, which I use every day after my training. And I'm really loving their new CBD infused bath bombs, which are the bomb. More about Mad Ritual later. Tim Lambertson is one of the top visionary creatives and producers in the world of social media, content creation, and influencer marketing. Together with his incredibly talented partners at LMS Agency, his wife Denise Lambertson and Kelly Frazier, they have built influencer campaigns and celebrity partnerships and endorsements from many of the biggest names in the business, like Beyonce and Watermelon Water, Ellie Goulding and Core, Jillian Michaels and Thrive Market, and have developed many influencer programs for popular snack and beverage brands around the globe like RX Bar, The New Primal, and so many more. And when it comes to video and content creation, look no further than the amazing and talented fitness entrepreneur Anna Kaiser and AKT. From her first DVD to her online video workouts, Tim Lambertson and LMS were there. Rooted in the world of entertainment, talent management, and production, Tim has worked with some of the biggest musicians and DJs in the business, including three of my favorites, Madonna, and DJs Marcus Schultz and Tracy Young. Tim has also worked with many globally renowned corporations and led the team that turned the Tracy Anderson method into one of the most globally recognized names in fitness. During our conversation today, 
Tim shares why video content is everything. It is the most important content you need to be creating now, whether you're an influencer or a brand, or just an individual looking to create content. We talk about the evolution of influencer marketing and how brands are creating more authentic content through strategic individual partnerships and long-term relationships with these influencers. We also talk about Tim's love of running and the parallels between marathon training and entrepreneurship. I hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Simply head over to the Apple app on your phone your iPad or your computer, click on the Marnie on the Move podcast, click on write a review, scroll through all of the Marnie on the Move podcast episodes, click on the five stars and tell us what you love. Also, share what you're listening to on your Instagram stories, Facebook or Twitter and tag Marnie on the Move. Now on to our conversation. But first, a word about our sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD. Today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off the charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients – coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you are sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, They are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, and use the code Marnie on the Move. Now, on to the episode. I'm loving your podcast, Tim, the Postworthy Podcast, and I've listened to almost every episode. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate that a lot. You know, we sort of did that, started it kind of on a whim, just like, you know, we have, we have a career, we have valuable information, so let's give it away. You know, like, let's help other people in any way that we can. We end up having, uh, I think one of the things that was sort of the inspiration behind that was we get asked so much of the same, you know, so the same question so many times. And, you know, this is like, what is influencer marketing? How do you prove the ROI? What services do you cover? When's the right time to start doing influencer? When, what do you do on social media? You know, what is a dark ad? What is organic social? Like, where's the, where is the blurry line between the two? And so because we field this question so much, I, you know, spoke with Kelly and Denise and I said, hey, we should start a podcast because first we can help people because there's a, we work with a lot of startups, a lot of early stage businesses. Also, we work with startups to the point where they don't even have a product yet. Right. So let's just rewind for a second. You are a partner and co-founder of the pioneering social media and influencer agency, LMS, with your wonderful wife, Denise, who you just mentioned. 
and your third partner, Kelly Frazier. Take me back to 2009 when you launched LMS. What inspired you to start this company? Kelly, Denise, and I all come from an entertainment background, as, as you know. Denise and Kelly met one another while working for Madonna. I obviously met Denise in college. And when we moved to Los Angeles, I started working in entertainment as well. And then we all started kind of collaborating on projects while everybody was working in the Madonna organization. So specifically, Kelly and Denise were working uh, for Madonna's manager before Kelly went uh, in a different direction and Denise went and started working for Madonna directly. It was through that you know, working relationship with Madonna that I ended up ultimately meeting Tracy Anderson on a video shoot that Madonna was recording. I think it was the four minutes video shoot that she was doing with Justin Timberlake. But the, the point being that we all had this entertainment background, but specifically we're working a lot in the celebrity world. When we left the celebrity world, we, we knew that we didn't want to be representing the talent anymore. You know, I think we could talk more about that yep. <laughs> uh, a little later in the conversation. Yes. But we knew that when we left, the let's start working on the business side. And that was intriguing to us. It was exciting. And we knew that we can connect businesses back to the celebrity network that we had. And so we thought we would give that a try and say, well, we see these things that are happening in the world like 50 Cent doing a collaboration with Vitamin Water. P. Diddy, the story is that P. Diddy's on the phone and he says, give me your worst brand. And they say, that's Ciroc. And the next thing you know, P. Diddy is responsible for blowing up Ciroc. And we've seen this sort of celebrity connection to business happen over and over and over again. But in the early 2000s, what we were seeing is the endorsement model was different. It was the brands were not writing checks to celebrities. Celebrities were starting to write checks to the brands so that they can become partners and they can help build this brand and use their status and also give themselves the opportunity to be singer, actor, entrepreneur. Right. Celebrepreneurs. <laughs> Celebrepreneurs. Exactly. And celebrities. We also very much part of Western culture to celebrate the successful CEO almost as a celebrity, right? We've seen that time and time again in many different industries from the early 19 teens, right? You know, like big business was pre-World War I, big businesses were getting notoriety. Post-World War I, big businesses were getting notoriety. And their CEOs at the helm were becoming celebrities. So I know that's quite a long-winded answer, but really we, we knew that we wanted... It's true. And it, I think people love to hear the history of where this trend of CEOs being celebrities and now kind of like flipping that on its head to celebrities yeah, being sure. CEOs. And I think that happened in the restaurant industry and in many yeah. in the sports industry. So in many industries. So I think it's a cool sort of, you know, soundbite into the history behind where it all began. Thank you. Yeah. And we took quite a beating over the years working on the celebrity side, right? right. Like working for the talent itself is a um, is interesting. Let's keep it there. It's yes. quite it's quite an interesting experience to be working hand in hand with talent 
you become manager, you are assistant, you are psychoanalyst, your therapist, your friend, um, and then you're sued, <laughs> and <then laughs> you're nothing, right? It is like a, um, it's like a lesson in life. Yeah, and I mean, as we, yeah. you know, as we both know, and probably as we all know, you know, with great talent comes great emotion and great drama, no matter what the talent. So, you know, when Absolutely. you enter into that world, you're navigating in emotions and you try to be a business person and it doesn't always work out that way. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Sometimes it does. <laughs> you're, you're so right. Yeah. Um, so, 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 um, sorry, I probably like just sidetracked you. Um, so, no, you know, good. flash forward, like LMS, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what you're doing, what you started doing at LMS and what you're doing now and sort of your primary role in the company. Because I know the key to your success with your company is that you all really wear different hats. Yes, absolutely. Early on, while we were connecting businesses to the celebrity network that we had, something really interesting was happening in the world. And that was this new social media platform was rising to prominence, right? And that was Instagram. I remember having conversations early on about, hey, look at this, look at this social media network. Instagram is super cool. It's fun. It's innovative. And what we started noticing was that, yes, there are traditional celebrities, but people were creating a following on Instagram. And those people were into fashion, they were into cooking, they were moms, they were, they were yogis, they were fitness professionals, runners, you name it. People who sort of looked the part started you know, gaining these authentic followings by just being themselves. And while the celebrity network that we had was fantastic and very useful for businesses, we also saw that there were these growing, more localized celebrities, and they were building these they were building these followings on Instagram. So we were far enough out ahead and thought that we should start putting together what we referred to as local heroes campaigns. Now, what we were doing at that point is we were looking and saying, okay, brand, you have a product that you're, it's a new beverage and you're releasing it in Southern California. Well, who can make you buy a new beverage? So yes, a superstar celebrity or a music artist or an actress could probably sway you depending if, you know, the paparazzi shots are right and it feels authentic in terms of its messaging to the consumer. But also, if you take your own personal life, who can make you buy a beverage or who can make you sell you a pair of new shoes or some new leggings? And the chances are that your fitness professional, your, you know, the person who runs your gym or the trainer that you love or the person that you're looking to to get makeup advice can sell you a product faster than the celebrity could. Right. Because we're all so used to that. Now, here's an individual who comes across very authentic and can give you, you know, really great tips. And so we started seeing that happening and it was happening on Instagram. So we started putting together these programs that we were called local heroes campaigns and the local heroes campaigns just simply meant that we were reaching out to people on the local level and working with them to talk about products, right? In the beginning, we would send them a bunch of free stuff 
always needed to make sure that they would like it first. And once they did, we'd ask them to talk about it on their social media feed. And what we were creating there, what we were on the forefront of, became known as influencer marketing. At that point, it wasn't called that yet. There was not a term or a career that was being called influencer. There was simply people who were developing big followings on Instagram and showing off their abilities and demonstrating to their followers ways of doing things, tips and tricks that people gravitated to and really liked. So at that time, we were sort of understanding that this is what was going on. As this started to develop and be, and gain more momentum, Denise Lambertson, my, my wife, was the person who sort of saw this. She spotted this trend. She saw this coming and she was really the one who said, you know, we should start, we can start doing this. And she started doing it by herself. She went into an office every single day and said, I'm going to do this thing. I remember I was working with her. She's, I mean, she was so ahead of the time and I was, you know, doing PR and I was working with her with some of our clients. So, I mean, love Denise. Shout out to Denise. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Shout out to Denise. And you're right, Marnie, you were there. And Denise got one client and then got a second client. We did it by starting, you know, she did it by starting off very small, just working, you know, as an individual, seeding products out to influencers, actually emailing the content creators or influencers and saying, hey, I would love for you to try this. It feels like it would be your vibe. And it was so new and it was super fun and innovative, but it started to get bigger and bigger and we needed help. Who would Denise call? at a time when she needed help. Well, you should go back to your, you know, your most trusted friend and called Kelly because we had all worked together for years on end throughout our various careers. And she called Kelly and said, Hey, I'm doing this thing and could use some help. Would you, you know, do you want to put in some hours and help me on this? And of course, Kelly being the, in the, uh, the go-getter, um, and having just as much drive as Denise said, yeah, sure, I'm in. And Kelly and was producing started, concerts at the time, right? Or she was... At the time that this was happening, Kelly was deep in experiential marketing. And she had gone out on concert tours. And first, she was tour managing on behalf of the bands, and then became the manager of tours on behalf of the advertisers who were looking to do experiential marketing activations in the lobby of the stadium or around the grounds. So like if this was presented by Verizon, she would be like representing Verizon and doing the meet and greets and organizing the, you know, the, the marketing activations. And ultimately that took her on a trajectory to Deutsche LA and she became the executive vice president of experiential built the experiential marketing division at Deutsche LA. From there, and she transitioned over to doing something similar after she had moved back to Greensboro. And that's when Denise and Kelly got in touch and Kelly started putting in some extra hours to help Denise. Denise was working with Madonna. She was phasing out of Tracy Anderson. That's correct. She had connected one of our clients with Gwyneth Paltrow and Tracy Anderson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so even then, she was, she was gravitating towards working with businesses. And bringing them into the network, right? Right. And so Kelly and Denise started working together. The amount of work started increasing because the client load was increasing. And at that point, it was just made sense 
that Kelly would join Denise and become come on as a full-time partner because we needed more employees. We needed somebody, we needed, you know, a staff. The business was growing. And ultimately, Denise was working so heavily with the clients and sort of doing business development that somebody needed to come in and be more of the operational partner and make sure that like the work was getting done. And so that is the role that Kelly assumed at that time, hiring new employees, training them, and taking an operational role. I came into the fold because something interesting was happening, and that was the businesses were not yet building out Instagram pages, and their Facebook pages were pretty were pretty bad. And as we started seeding products to influencers, influencers were going to the brand page, let's say the brand's Instagram page, and seeing that it didn't have like an artful aesthetic. Matter of fact, the content was bad. It, the page was not representative really of the product, but more than anything, the influencers were saying, well, I don't want to work with this brand because my brand will suffer by working with this brand because their Instagram page is so bad. And so I had always had a huge interest in things like video production, audio production. I did a lot of that with Tracy Anderson. I did a lot of that with the artists and the talent that I was representing. And I was always gravitated to that. And I had a lot of interest in social media. I loved it. I was always a big advocate for social media. And we started noticing that influencers are saying no. So we thought we should build out a branch of LMS that does social media management. More specifically, we need to work with these brands to create the content and then build out their Instagram page so that they could get the validation that they needed. You know, if you remember back when, Marnie, people were putting their Facebook page on their product, right? Or putting their Facebook, find us on Facebook, uh, because that was sort of growing. Now, Instagram was kind of being, Instagram was the next thing. And it was find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram. And so we, I stepped in to take over the social media department and use my background in film production and video production and audio production photography in order to start building out these pages in order to make the Instagram pages look good. And that was, you know, and that's sort of the history there. And that was my foray into content development and my foray to becoming really like changing what I was doing, which was producing a lot of video content and really taking more of a executive leadership role in LMS and running a team. And the team that I came in to run was the social media team. And I worked to build that out and create that department. I loved all the video content you created for Anna Kaiser, taking her classes digital years ago. Can you talk a little bit about this? First and foremost, Anna, her husband, uh, they are dear friends and I, I love them dearly. They're fantastic people. I, I could never have enough great things to say about Anna. She's an unbelievably hard worker. I was there for the time that she auditioned and got hired by Tracy Anderson and really was a superstar right from the get-go. So she had, her and I developed a relationship when I was managing Tracy. And when she had left, when the time came and it was right for her to leave and sort of go on to do her own thing and develop her own technique, I was, myself and Denise were there to want to help her in any way that we could, because not only were we friends, but 
we were just really supportive of her and wanted to see her business become a success. What I had started doing is working with Anna to create a lot of video content. So I shot and edited her, you know, I directed and edited her DVD. I worked with her to build out her YouTube content, and I worked with her to start developing all of the early content that went on to her app. So her and I worked very, very closely together, very long hours. You know, she would do three full one-hour workouts during a shoot. I, I have no idea how she did that. And it wasn't her standing over a trainer saying, you know, do more crunches. She was doing all of the crunches. And then I'd say, hey, cut. You know, the audio, the battery is dying. We got to go back and redo the whole ab section. And, you know, with a smile on her face at 2 a.m., she would dive back in there and do another, you know, 200 crunches. Uh, so I have no idea how she did that. But uh, yes, I helped build out all of those assets. I shot them. I did a lot of still photography for her, but really was kind of instrumental in building out all of the AKT content. I was doing that right when all the way up into the time that I transitioned into taking more of a executive leadership role at LMS and building out the social media content. And so much of what I was doing with Anna was specifically for YouTube, for social media, and then later went on to be content that was featured in her app. You guys were all at the early stages of developing this kind of content like we just talked about for Anna Kaiser mm -hmm. and a lot of the brands that you worked with. You were also doing influencer marketing, social media marketing. How have you seen this all evolve? Like how influencers are working with brands and brands working with influencers and maybe share what brands need to know about working with influencers and what influencers should know about working with brands? Yeah, great question. And it's something that we sort of think about a lot. I contemplate deeply and have a lot of opinions about. So I appreciate you asking that. I think of influencers, not as influencers in terms of I'm going to hand this product to somebody. And then because they're so influential, they're going to sell 10,000 units of it by posting it on their social media. I, matter of fact, try and not use the term influencer and really stick to calling those artists what they are and they're content creators. So when I think of really good content creators, now that doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, you have like this epic drone shot of you over a turquoise ocean here. Creating content might mean that, you know, you have the wherewithal to be able to set up a camera and take a shot while you're having breakfast with your kids in the morning, right? And capturing some real authentic moments. So really the way I look at content creators is saying that they own these channels. Now, those channels might be on Instagram or they might be on YouTube or a blog or all of the above. But I sort of look at content creators the way people look at like a cable television channel. And I think that what they do and how they do it is interesting and authentic because it's truly representative of them. So when I think about working with content creators, I think about it in terms of like, if I'm going to call TLC or the travel channel, and they're going to put a show on, that's their content. They know, you know, the travel channel knows how to do what travel channel does. They understand what people are watching. They understand what their audience needs and what is binge worthy content. Right. So influencers, content creators also understand that. 
They know their audience. They know their audience. Absolutely, Marnie. And I think what's been happening, the trend has been that brands and marketers, myself included previously, feel like we used to be able to say to influencers, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. Here's some money or here's some product. Please talk about it. And that's sort of where things have started. But nowadays, it's more like I reach out to content creators and I want them to participate in the creative with me. And I almost look at it as if I am bringing my product to your channel and I want your input. Tell me how, to, how you want to talk about it creatively. How can we work together? Do you like the product? And if you do, let's not do this one-off. Let's move away from the one-night stand model of brands working with influencers. Let's move to the relationship model. So I almost look at it a little bit like an endorsement model with a content creator so that I am, if you're the content creator, right. Marnie, I'm going to call you and say, hey, I have this product. I think it fits with you. Let's just pretend it's a new running sneaker that I'm developing. Right. And I want you to tell me, first, do you like it? How did it feel when you trained in it? And if you like it and it was good for you and your feet feel good, then I want you to tell me how you're going to talk about it. Are, do you want to take a picture of you running? Do you want to take a video of you running? Do you want to just sit there with the shoe and talk about all the ways you like it? And if you are in then I want to pay you and I want to talk about how we're going to do this, how you're going to talk about my brand and work with me over a period of time so that it doesn't feel like this one-off ad campaign. It right. Is like there's continuity and, and there's authenticity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that is where this industry is trending. These are human beings on the other side of the Instagram page or the TikTok page or Pinterest. And they need to be treated like the content creators and the creatives that they are. Because we all know that it doesn't take five minutes to create an Instagram post, right? There's time and thought Absolutely. and energy that goes into that. As a brand, I just think back to ROI and brands are like... And I get that, you know, my whole life working in PR and marketing, I've always been asked what's the ROI from any brand, from what I do to where, to what they're investing in. And that's an important thing for brands. But like you said, influencers are human and you're asking them to do a lot of work to post something that looks like it took five minutes. And then you're, you know, as a brand, you may be expecting them to drive tremendous ROI. And I think that relationship is the word that you used earlier, it's key. And Mm -hmm. relationship is not a one-time, one-night stand. It's a long-term conversation, agreement, content partnership. I love it. Absolutely. That's the way it has to be. And I think you're going to be able to then work with somebody who would be more genuine and more authentic about their like or love for your product. And you're really developing an ambassador. And frankly, if you think about it in terms of ROI or traditional advertising, At the end of the day, if you're watching Travel Channel because you like all of the content on there, then advertisers are going to put the kinds of products or they're going to run ads on that channel that they think you're going to buy. And ultimately, that is the model with influencers, right? They produce content that you like, you tune into them regularly, and they should be representing products that they like or feel authentic to them 
which will ultimately feel authentic to their following or bring e- even bring value to their following. And that's what we try, that's what we want to create. So what are some of the platforms that brands are looking at these days to find influencers? And what are some new platforms that you think influencers should be optimizing? We use a product called Grin. It's one of the pieces of the puzzle. It's not the whole puzzle. It's just a piece. But we like Grin because it helps expedite the process of looking for localized influencers. So, for example, if you're looking for somebody who has X amount of followers on Instagram and is in Phoenix, Arizona, then you can use the Grin platform to help you find influencers in Phoenix. And where we used to do that manually, now this helps, you know, the technology helps us do more sourcing of influencers. But ultimately, the key to our success is that there's a human being that's doing that. We're not just relying on the platform to kick out information and then just using that information. So the next level there is like, then we vet that list. You customize it. Every feed. Yeah, we customize it. It's kind of like decision, like a lot of PR people will subscribe to this database. But at the end of the day, it's a combination of having access to this broad portfolio of media or and then it's kind of like looking through and weeding out and customizing that list to really leverage, you know, what it is you're doing for your client. And also, I think on the flip side, you know, we used like we also used to do everything manually and have relationships with individuals, but then this kind of like technology and system really pulls it all together. Yeah, for sure. So you're, you're absolutely correct. And so that's one that we like. And then in terms of platforms, I have been shouting and jumping up and down and yelling about the power of video content versus all other forms of media. Yes. For, you know, since 2000 and maybe since 2000. So as we start to see Instagram, TV, that part of that platform gain more traction, a lot of video content coming from TikTok that then gets reposted onto Instagram stories, TikTok itself as a platform, I'm really staying hyper-focused on video. And Do you think YouTube is making a comeback? I think YouTube is absolutely making a comeback. And I also, one part of me says comeback because I'm now, you know, in my 40s. Uh-huh. But the other part of me says, I don't think it ever left. Right. What, it's just the content styles have changed. So where I might have gone on YouTube years ago to watch sports highlights or to get some sort of DIY information, the younger generations, the Gen Z and even younger, are on YouTube watching gamers game understanding nuances of Minecraft and all these other cool ways of building things on Minecraft. So like I've had the opportunity to be around a lot of friends who have young boys and young kids, anywhere from one year old all the way to 12 years old, kids are watching so much YouTube content. Everything from whether it's what I think this guy's name is like Blippy. He tells you just about like, hey, this is an apple or this is a tomato. This is a truck all the way through to, you know, kids watching gamers uh, play Minecraft. It's very DIY tips and advice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the it hasn't gone anywhere. I just think generationally we may have outgrown it for some reason or turned to things like TikTok or other video platforms because we're just consuming so much video. But it's, yeah. 
it hasn't gone anywhere. You know, speaking of being a little bit older than maybe the younger demographic, I should say, on YouTube, we Mm -hmm. had talked about briefly using video on LinkedIn. And since we're talking about video. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I am a major advocate for using video on LinkedIn. I mean, I'm just an advocate for video. And whether it's you videoing yourself making this podcast so that you can post it on LinkedIn and the chances are, and what we've seen and our data proves this, is that when we post video, for example, on LinkedIn, a promo for either the Postworthy podcast or a promo, or just simply Kelly doing a piece to camera and saying, hey, I'm going to make more of a concerted effort to make more videos so that I can offer the opportunity to answer questions or help people understand influencer marketing better or any other struggles that the entrepreneurial mom with the young son goes through, then video is going to be the format that people consume the most of. You can watch it quickly. You can say what you can type out on a blog in 6,000 words. You can probably say in under one minute on a video. And for all those reasons, I find it to be really compelling. But really, the data says that when you post videos on LinkedIn, people will click and watch them. And obviously, if you can keep it to 15 seconds, brilliant. If it's a one minute, if it's under one minute, fine. All of it will be consumed. And for anybody in business that is looking to use social media to kind of tell their story or help them grow, I would say turn on the camera and record a video and post it. And yeah, Haters going to hate, Marnie, but at the end of the day, you got to post it on there. And frankly, if you decide that you're going to be no makeup, fantastic. If you're going to do a full face of makeup and get a blowout before you make a video, then fine. That's you. You do you. The fact of the matter is post the videos, make them and post them and watch the success. I had been, uh, you know, obviously during quarantine and and coronavirus epidemic, which is still ongoing here, webinars have been plentiful, right? Because there's no more in-person. Everybody's taking a webinar. So I took a webinar and I had a gentleman say that a lot of sales teams are now using videos. In lieu of sending emails back and forth to people, right. they are sending videos. So they'll record a video using a program like Vidyard, for example, And you can just directly put it into your email and send somebody a video. And they are getting anywhere from 5 to 10x response and sales because they're using video. And it feels so personal. You can say something way faster than you can type it out. And frankly, people, when they receive a big email, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but if all of a sudden it's gone down past the fold, I'm like, all right, I'm going to come back to this one because there's a lot of information and I have to sort of take my time. If it's two, three sentence email, cool, I can take that. But if it's a video, I'm going to click it and watch it. One, because it feels exciting. Like, oh, a video. Let me watch this. And I think that's just how people are consuming things these days. Video is the top dog. Yeah, I definitely have been observing this huge trend and I know it's here to stay. Just figuring out, you guys have a podcast about brand voice on the Postworthy podcast, Mm -hmm. and I listen to that, and I think that it's really important, no matter what you decide to do, just to kind of like understand your audience and do that. Do that thing that you do. So I've been sort of thinking about that as someone who 
not for my PR agency or for my event company, but for me, the podcast host. Like I've been thinking about how do I communicate my brand voice on video and, you know, what is that going to look like? I mean, I, I've done a few videos and tutorials on different things, but yeah, I mean, that's really, really solid advice. And now, you know, before you got into all of this talent management and video production and being a partner at LMS, where did it all begin for you? Like, what, what did you think you were going to be as a kid? How did you kind of get into this? You know, I've been thinking about that a lot. It's, it's, it's interesting that you asked that. It's been on my mind a lot lately. Like, how, basically, how did I get here? And where do I want to go from here, right? I think that is sort of a natural set of feelings that arise in somebody as you age. Whereas, you know, when you're 19, the first thing on my mind was like, when's it too early to smoke weed, right? right? Like, and then <laughs> now that I'm not that anymore, sadly, your mind changes and you, and you focus on what I would consider to be way more important issues than time of day. What did I want to be when I was a kid? I have been thinking about that a lot. And I think more than anything, I just have always gravitated to being around people. And it's, it's the single thing that sort of drove me is how can I surround myself with people and make a positive impact or just bring joy, lighten the mood, get somebody from unhappy to happy. And I remember moving out to Los Angeles after I graduated college, you know, Denise and I packed up a U-Haul and we found ourselves in LA and she knew what she was going to do. Her path was solid, you know, it was in her blood. She knew entertainment industry is where she was going and come hell or high water, she was going to have an impact there. I, on the other hand, knew that I didn't want to be put into a cubicle with shit lighting and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be in that. That wasn't for me. I take that back to a professor that had said early on, you know, one of the things that sort of stuck with me is don't work to die. And I've always just sort of lived by that. And when I decided to take a jump into the entertainment business after my first entrepreneurial venture failed, which was a cheerleading training company, I just said, hey, this seems cool. I'm going to go. I'm going to try it. And it wasn't this path that was like flowing through me that I knew that like this is where I was meant to be. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until way later when I started producing video content and being on set as a director did it actually hit me where I was like, you know, even if I had to work a 19, 20 hour day with several times over, I knew that I had arrived at a place where I was meant to be. Ultimately, that had never crossed my mind as a kid. I didn't think that I would ever be behind the camera. Ultimately, it was people. And that's what interested me. I want to record video and I want to record audio so that I can understand what human beings have to offer so that I can be there to get that you know, very specific, small piece of time and capture that. And as I sort of moved throughout businesses, that's really what ultimately it, it came to for me, you know, and I think that's one of the things that I really loved about social media early on was just that people, even though there's plenty of trolls out there, right. um, and maybe that, that troll is your authentic self. I don't think it is. I think people are trying to get a rise or they just don't have, you know, another outlet, but really it's just that sort of human experience that has always driven me. Uh, it's driven me throughout my career. It's driven me to get into music because I just love like that raw, authentic feeling that you would get at a rave, which drove me into a career in electronic music and managing talent there. I have grew 
Which is when we connected, right? When you were working with Marcus and you were working with Tracy in Miami. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. And I, exactly. Like, but the, the reason I got into that was because from like a really good pill and a great party. And I wanted that experience over and over again. And I then said, I will make a career out of this. And started managing talent and it still gave me the opportunity. There is experiences that I had traveling with Marcus that I would never trade in for the world. Just that kind of like when you're at a great sports game and it's coming down to the end and everybody's hairs are on end, you know, like you, you achieve that kind of positive energy that, that sort of, I just always wanted to surround myself with that. Um, and that kind of took me through several different career paths. But the reason that I was kind of drawn to that talent relationship was, one, because it's actually a genuine relationship and you get to impact somebody's life in a you know, really positive way. And you get to impact all of the other people who are impacted by that talented person. And I think that's what also drew me to you know, wanting to be a partner at LMS was just that I knew that I loved social. We could help brands, we could bring products to people that were, you know, not necessarily detrimental to their health. You know, we were not representing cigarette companies here or vape pens. We're representing organic sauce and alkaline water and better for you products that if nobody knows about them, you might make the next time you're in a grocery store, you're going to make a decision that might, that might ultimately be detrimental to your health. You know, like maybe you can get hot your hot cheeto experience from something that's you know made from cauliflower or peas right well you (laughs) work with a lot of amazing health and wellness brands speaking of health and wellness what are you doing to stay fit and healthy you know marnie i started i decided that i was going to run marathons and i have loved it and i have regretted it every day since the Training for a marathon is freaking grueling. I mean, it is, you know, it takes months to get ramped up. And ultimately, you're either going to be training in frigid cold or unbelievable heat, depending on when your marathon time is. And it's grueling. Like, you have to sacrifice a lot because you're Saturday night, you're thinking about the fact that you have to do a 18, 19 mile run on Sunday. And do you have a glass of wine and stay up till midnight? Or do you go to bed at 8.30 on Saturday night because at 7 a.m. you're running 19 miles, right? Like not, you're not always running that with that extent during the process. But yeah, there's a lot of sacrifice there. And then at the same time, it is like a euphoric experience when you get done or when you go to race day and you finish a marathon. And now granted, I, in all the marathons that I've run, which at this point is two, because one has been canceled due to COVID. Which one were you going to run that was canceled? Martha's Vineyard in March canceled, which looked like it was gearing up to be just a gorgeous run, but ultimately, you know, the health and safety of people is more important. Right. But look, I ran two marathons in five hours and 30 minutes. Which, That's great. You know, for anybody that knows, six yeah. hours is when they cut you off and kick you out, regardless of where you are. And like, you know, you battle through cramps and sometimes you got to walk and sometimes you're thirsty and you got to fill up your bottle. And but at the end of the day, I crossed the finish line and I got the medal and, you know, earned the beer and the pizza. 
that comes in the end. And I have really taken to doing cross training, not CrossFit, cross training. So squats and uh, burpees, strength training, and then doing run training. And I really enjoy it. I have a former scholarship track athlete who is a personal trainer that I work with here in Greensboro. And she takes me to the track. Like tonight, I'll go to a track and do a track workout. And I absolutely love those track workouts. Those are really exciting. And ultimately, I think I was drawn to running because living in New York City, I remember when I started and I was just like, I can go to the park and I can run. All I need is shoes, t-shirt and shorts, and I don't need a gym membership. I don't need anything expensive. I don't need to buy a Peloton. I'm, I love that people that love that. But for me, I want to get out there, get some fresh air, and I want to go running. And every time I go, it's different. So you've maintained your training over the past four months and you've kept up your running. That's great. Yes, I have. I pulled a muscle right when I was about to go do right around the time that that marathon was meant to be, which was frustrating. And anybody that's, you know, run trained or just been an athlete, you probably have experienced the pulled muscle. Let me tell you, when you're 40, it takes a lot longer to heal than when you're 17 or even 20. But I did that and I've continued to keep it up. I've backed off a little bit in terms of the amount that I'm running. I was, I found that I was putting way too much pressure on myself to be, go out there and like win my age bracket or turn five hours and 30 minutes into four hours and 30 minutes. And I thought just the other day, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm right. not trying to make a career out of running here. Like, I don't, I'm not going to beat the, the Kenyan runners and win the Boston marathon. Like that's not even in the realm of possibility here. So maybe I can just chill out and start re-enjoying it again. I was just putting way too much pressure into training. So I've done that. I've backed off on my mileage. And frankly, if in this year I run a half, providing we can go and actually run any, any races, then I'm cool with that. And next year I'll ramp back up again when, uh, when I, I hope that we're not still in the midst of a pandemic and uh, I can get going then. I mean, I understand that pressure that we put on ourselves as runners to beat our times. Do you feel like the training has helped you with your business at all and sort of like staying focused and set goals? It absolutely has. And here's how. The training for running races at any, whether it's a 5K or a full marathon or an ultra, is a process that you need to be driven and motivated for. And if, and frankly, when it comes to a full marathon and somebody, you know, like yourself, Marnie, who's run triathlons, which I can't even wrap my head around at this point, you know what it takes to push your body through that kind of training. And I don't know how you feel, but how I feel after having successfully completed those long races, I know now that I can pretty much handle anything. Yeah. I set out to do it. I did it. And, you know, look, if I went and took, uh, you know, a photo, sh of, you know, a photo in the mirror of me in my underwear, you would not look at me and go, well, that dude's a runner. Right. Like, not even close. But I pushed myself to go through and get it done. And when it comes to business, there are days running an agency that are as grueling as days when you're setting out to do an 18 mile run. It's a different kind of, it's, a, it's more mental, I think, than physical. Right. But Knowing that I have, I'm able to put myself through that and like, complete a marathon, I know that I can get through the hardest days, whether it's physically, emotionally, or mentally when it comes to running an agency. 
And all I have to do is think back to how hard I worked to get through that and understand that like, okay, I can run 26 miles in a day. I can get through a grueling eight hour workday at times that I don't want to. And that has been the lesson. And also I think alternatively, when you're training some days, you got to listen to your body and you might be three miles in on a 12 mile training run and be like, screw it. I'm done. I'm going to walk back. And frankly, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I need to rest and I need to just stop. And some days at work in this position at the executive level, you have to do the same exact thing and just be like, you know what? I'm taking off tomorrow and I need it is I need to rest. I need mental health break. And I know enough to know that if I try and push through, I'm either going to snap and act ugly, or I'm just going to be apathetic in a day. And I, and my partners deserve better than that. And the clients deserve better than that. And our employees deserve better than that. So I need to get away for either a day or a half day or even a few hours and just walk away. I think I've learned that. Yeah. I feel the same way. I keep my medal from my marathon on my desk just in case I forget. That's my... I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I just look at it and I'm like, every conversation, I'm like, you did this. You can do this. Absolutely, Monica. I I love that. I I had done that with the medal for a while. Now I have like a specific where all my training gear is in a closet. I have all of my medals like hanging from hangers so that every time I walk in there and I'm like, I need to pick, I need to pick myself up by the sneakers here. I'm like, all right, I did this. I can go and I can get out there in the 95 degree heat today and run three miles, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. And now are you reading any great like business books or what binge watching any good shows on Netflix that you think are you're getting you through these COVID times? Yeah. You know, I'm not right now reading any business books. What I'm reading right now is the Tao of the Wu, which was a book written by the RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan. And now I, I am a huge Wu-Tang Clan fan. I'm also like a huge fan of Eastern philosophy. I am a studying Buddhism for 14 years now. And some of the subject matter that the RZA touches on in the Tao of the Wu is everything from like Kung Fu films to hip hop, to street culture, to growing up in tough parts of New York City, all the way to Buddhism, Taoism, and all things in between. So I'm, I am thoroughly enjoying that. I, I got the ebook. I'm coupling that with another book. It's called The Quantum and the Lotus. And it is a, a quantum physicist speaking with a, a Buddhist monk and talking about where the crossover between quantum physics and Buddhism and spirituality sort of collided. Oh, that sounds like a great book. <laughs> it's really interesting. You're reading the dialogue discussions between them. Okay. So it's in the subject matter that I truly enjoy. So I'm sort of deep in both of those books. Awesome. And now you're watching any Netflix shows or? So first and foremost, I could watch The Office, which I do over and over and over and over again. So I've probably watched The Office with Denise like five times through. I love The Office so much. My favorite episode is when they hide Dwight's mobile phone in the ceiling and start calling him. <laughs> so do you watch Schitt's Creek too? Or <laughs> Schitt's Creek is got to be one of the top all-time shows. The acting in that show is so good. I love those characters. Favorite episode on that one is the Fold in the Cheese uh, episode where she's cooking with David. <laughs> she's like, Fold in the Cheese. 
like, what does that mean? Yeah, that's uh, that. It's so brilliant. I yeah. love I love it a lot. It's smart and the acting is so good. Yeah, great show. Awesome. Do you have any last words, like any key lessons you've learned in business? I think at the end of the day, just remember that we are transient beings. And this is this spacesuit that we're in every single day is the one that we have for a very short temporary time. And don't take it all too seriously. We're here for a flash. And the best business advice I can give you is some days don't take it seriously. It's fine. Like there's going to be another one and you can relax a little bit and enjoy. Thank you. This has been so awesome, Tim. I'm so grateful for you being on the show. Me too, Marnie. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I advocate for everybody out there. Listen to all the episodes of Marnie on the Move. And the Postworthy Podcast. Right back at ya. <laughs> you. Got it. <laughs> Listen to the Postworthy Podcast with Kelly and I featuring Denise and some really great interviews. I'm really excited to talk to you on that show. Heading Marnie, over there now. And, um, I'm going to go set up my Zoom space for you. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.